Okay, we all have favorite stories, favorite illustrations, and books. And if you'll pardon me, I'm going to go back to uh, one that is one of my favorites, and you've heard me uh, open sermons with it before or refer to it in sermons. I'm not quite going that senile to have uh, forgotten that yet, uh, but it's one that I love and I wanted to come back to it. It is a poem by Emily Dickinson. And the poem describes, I'm just going to say this before I read it because sometimes it's hard to catch. The poem describes a person who is walking down the street and the person walking down the street is kind of feeling lost and lonely. And as they're walking, a door opens on a house and you hear kind of sounds of laughter and of music and of joy and of light emanating from out of this house. And the door closes and the person passes by, but they feel all the worse than they did before because now they know what they're missing out on. So hear this poem. A door just opened on a street. I lost was passing by. An instant's width of warmth disclosed and wealth and company the door as sudden shut, and I, I, lost, was passing by, lost doubly, but by contrast most, enlightening misery. In John 14 through 17, Jesus has opened the door, disclosing warmth and wealth and company inside of the door, revealing light and love and life emanating from out of the door. For the open door that Jesus has unveiled is, is the door that shows us the Trinity. The Trinity, not as some kind of static theological construct that's important for us to understand, but the Trinity as the epicenter of love, as love central, as the home of love, where does love come from? It comes from that home. And, and, and Jesus has opened it up so that we can see it. And at this very moment where Jesus has opened up all of this love, all the disciples can feel at this moment is lost and lost. Kind of the way that we feel when we see other people enjoying themselves maybe a family, maybe a group of people in a park, maybe a group of people having a conversation and we're not part of it. And Jesus calls them out on it. Jesus rebukes them. Jesus kind of knocks on their heads. Are you listening to me? Can you hear all that I've been saying about you? All that you can think about right now is yourself. All that you can think about is the loss that you are experiencing. You should be rejoicing because I'm going away and I've told you I'm going there. I am going to the Father. And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. So, so, so hear this carefully. In, in the presence of love, in the presence of all of the love that Jesus has shown to them, all of the love that he's communicated to them, that he's urged upon them in the presence of love himself, the disciples have failed to love. And if you will, Jesus is standing on the street with them, to use the poem. Jesus is standing on the street with them saying, 
I'm going there. I'm going there for the Father is greater than I. The, the, the light, the joy, the love is greater in there than it is out here. No disrespect to you guys, but it's greater there. Now, we need to understand this just for a moment. When uh, Jesus says the Father is greater than I, he's not making here an ontological statement, which is to say that's theological, but that's to say he's not making a statement about his essential being that he's had for all eternity. Why? Because as we have confessed, the, the members of the Trinity are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. But Jesus is making an incarnational statement about his incarnate state. The Athanasian Creed, an ancient creed of the church, says it this way. Nothing in the Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. But then of the incarnate Lord, it says this. He is equal to his father as regards his divinity, less than the father as regards his humanity. So what, what has taken place is that the eternal son who belongs in this household from which the love and the light are emanating, the eternal son left the fellowship of the place of love and the place of glory. He became a man and he came into the place of humiliation. And now he is about to return to the glorious fellowship of his father, to the light, to the love, to the glory that is there. That place is better than this place in which we are standing right now. You should rejoice and you should believe. Because Jesus says the time is short. The time is short. I'm not going to be with you much longer. I don't have a lot of other things and time to say them to you because the ruler of this world, the devils, the sa Satan, is coming into this world. This going away of which Jesus has been speaking, or to use the poem, this transition from the street on which Jesus finds himself right now back into the glorious fellowship will not be for him pain free. The man, Jesus, will have to cross through the valley of the shadow of death. He will have to go through hell itself to get back to that place if he is to accomplish the mission for which he has been sent. While death might seem like the end of the line to us, it may have seemed that way to the disciples. His going away was going away, period. In fact, for Jesus... Death was a way station. It was between this life on the street and that life in the home, but it wasn't the place where he was going to remain. And, and, and we get this here a little bit, that, that Jesus wants to explain this, because one might think that if the ruler of the world is coming and the time of Jesus is short and the ruler of the world is going to be involved in this betrayal of Jesus that's going to lead to his death, his cutting off of this time with the disciples in this world, one might actually wonder, right, about the authority of Jesus, if he's called Satan the ruler of the world, and he has the ability, this is his hour, to cut off the time. And so Jesus affirms in our text, he has no claim on me. 
He has no claim on me. He has nothing on me. He has nothing to hold over my head. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The ruler of this world is coming, but he's got nothing on me. The bonds of death won't hold him, to go back to an Easter sermon. Why? And the answer is because he's the obedient son. But I do as the father has commanded me. Verse 31. You see, think about it this way. If you and I were to stand before death, before Satan on our own, our own merits, he, or if you will, they, would have claim on us. And the claim is our disobedience to the commands of God. The claim that he would have on us is our sin, our record of death. But when Christ stands before death, stands before Satan, and Satan looks at death and death looks at Satan, and they kind of say, hey, let's check. Let's, let's double check. Let's go into all the records, wherever they are, wherever they're kept. Let's see if we can find something on him. Let's check the rap sheet against Jesus. And they do so, and there's none to be found. There's, there's no criminal record. There's no record of debt against Jesus, and therefore he must be loosed. He must be set free. He has no claim on him. Also that the world might know, in the words of Jesus, that I love the Father. Jesus hasn't obeyed out of some kind of slavish, fearful requirement of following the orders of his Father. His obedience is the obedience of love. I love the Father. The world has to know this. Now, we know, we've heard already in the Gospel of John and the other Gospels, that the Father loves the Son. Right? Think of the, the baptism or the transfiguration. This is my beloved son. And, and this particular peek into the eternity of the Trinity that Jesus is giving us here confirms for us that not only does the Father love the Son, the Son loves the Father forever, to be sure, for all eternity. The Son has loved the Father. But now, as the incarnate man, he loves the Father Deuteronomy gave us the fundamental command that belongs to mankind. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Every man has failed to do that except this man who declares the world has to know. I love the Father. We, we are being shown here by Jesus the bedrock, the bedrock of eternity and the bedrock of our salvation. For all eternity, the Father has loved the Son, the Son has loved the Father, the Spirit has loved the Son, the Son has loved the Spirit, and go back and forth between them. Uh, to use uh, the idea, concept of Michael Reeves, uh, some of the guys will appreciate that. We read his book, Delighting in the Trinity, years ago in a men's study. God was never lonely. God was never looking for someone to love. The triune God has always existed in the fellowship of love. And the world has to know that. The world has to know it. Because there is, coming from that love, an intentional spillage, an overflow, a, a cup, and love's being poured into the cup. And intentionally, it's flowing over the sides of the cup because that love yields our creation and our salvation. God's love is effusive. It, it, 
it emanates from the home. Okay, it's, it's light that pours out of the home. The home can't contain the love that is in there. Or again, in the words of Michael Reeves, God is ecstatic in his being, ecstatic. From out of his very being and out of his very person, love flows out of that. And that is why, to go back to the poem, that is why the son is currently outside the house, standing on the street with the disciples. Having left the place of light and love and glory, on a mission of love, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That's, that's the mission that he's gone out of. It's a mission of love, but you could go behind that. Okay, for God so loved the world, but you could go back behind that further and say, for the three persons of the one God so loved each other that they created the world, and that they sent the son to redeem the world. They so loved each other that they didn't want to constrain or contain that love. They wanted to let their love overflow. The son isn't resentful about his humble incarnate life. He's not angry with the father going, man, I, I drew the short straw of the Trinity having to go to become incarnate and die on a cross. No, the son is not angry with the father that he has to take the record of debt that stood against us and take it himself and be nailed to the cross so that that record of debt would be nailed to the cross. He's not upset about that. No, the son loves the father and he loves him to the end. He loves him to the end. Remember to the disciples he had said, or in John 13, the very first verse, having loved his own, he loved them. To the end, having loved his father, he loved him to the end. That's where we come here. The world has to know it because in that love, the love that Jesus has for the father, in that love is the defeat of Satan, the defeat of death. In that love is our hope. In that love is our salvation. Because in that love, he says, I'll take the record of debt that belongs to you. And I'll give you something else. I'll give you the record that says, I do everything that the Father has commanded me to do. And in addition to that, I'll give you for your record this. I love the Father. Take it. I'll take yours. You take mine. Right in the face of the failure of the love of the disciples. He's just told them they failed. Right in the face of it. In light of Israel's failure to love, a man now can say with integrity, I love the Father. And our eternal destiny is wrapped up in the fact that Jesus loves the Father. Through that, we are being invited, that's why the world has to know, we are being invited into the house where the party of love has been going on for all eternity. We go in through the cross, through the grave, through the resurrection, through the ascension by which Jesus returns to the household. Ask yourself this question. Do you ever wonder if God loves you? Well, does Jesus love his father? Does the father love his son? Well, if he is in the father and you are in him and he is in you, if you are being wrapped around 
the steel strands of the Trinitarian love that has existed for all eternity, then in his love, we are love. So how then does the world get to know? How then does the world get to know that the Son loves the Father? You should expect it because this is what we've been preaching on. Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. The Spirit of God looks at the work of the cross of the Son of God. And listen, you have to recognize something here. Spatialness is going to break down in our analogy, analogy because homes can't contain the omnipresent God. But the Spirit of God takes the work of Jesus Christ that is about to be accomplished, the no claim that Satan has, the resurrection, therefore, of Jesus Christ, the debt paid, and the Spirit says, my turn, my turn, I get to take this. I get to take, Jesus, the love that you have shown for your Father and the Father for you, and it's my job to pour that out all over the world. I'm just going to keep pouring. In other words, how about this? The spirit takes the house party and makes it a street party, a block party. Now, to be sure, don't get, don't misunderstand. It's better to be in the house. It's better to be in the house than it is to be on the street. It's hard to be on the street. But nevertheless, the spirit says, in the meantime, drink up, drink up. There's more to come. But in the meantime, drink up of this love. The door of eternal love has been opened. And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, we beg you, don't pass by. Because if you think you felt lost before, you will feel doubly lost having heard of the love that has existed for all eternity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke. John wrote this gospel inspired by the Holy Spirit so that you might know that Jesus loves his Father. And in that is our hope and our life. Believe in that. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then let me invite you to linger. To linger. The Spirit is currently at work within us, giving us, working in us, the ability to say, I love the Father. And to mean it. That's what the Spirit is doing in our lives, giving us step by step, day by day, the ability to say that with some level of integrity. The loving Son is going to come out of the house. The Spirit, the Son, is going to come back out of the house, and he's going to take us to the eternal home. That's where John started, right? That's where John 14 started. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to a place, prepare a place for you, and I'll take you. That's going to happen. He's going to come back out. And at that time, we will hear, enter into the joy, enter into the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the meantime, drink up. Let's pray.